0: hello everyone and welcome back to the a10 talk podcast i'm sam basil joined by a relatively large crew today uh which is always great to see i'm joined as usual by kaylee godek david corn and william bazone as well as sean vitalis guys how's everybody doing we're a week into atlantic 10 play Uh, a lot of good games so far a couple upsets we're going to be getting into you know some of our surprises some of our unfortunate surprises and then games we're looking forward to uh this weekend. So first off, how's it going for everybody?
1: Honestly, it couldn't be any better um if you're a UMass men's basketball fan with the fight they just put up at Dayton um this past week. Um Sean was in person for that. Um I had the pleasure of watching at home, but honestly, UMass fans couldn't be in a better spot um With the exception of Matt Cross going down last night on, we're recording Thursday, so on Wednesday night, um, with six minutes left to go in the game against LaSalle with a left ankle injury. Frank Martin mentioned that he's had some issues with this prior to the Diamond Head Classic, before non-conference play really wrapped, so... He's going to be a game-time decision from what we do know, and hopefully it isn't as bad as I've heard possibly, but there's minimal swelling from what I've heard, and hopefully he will be a go on Saturday for those UMass fans.
0: And, Sean, uh, you know, speaking of you, uh, your Dayton Flyers are top of the conference right now at 2-0. and Not really surprising for a lot of people, but, you know, regardless, how does it feel to be be the top dogs right now or, you know, rooting for the top dogs right now?
2: Yeah, no, uh, it, it's been great. Um, yeah, UMass game, awesome. That was like second day back on campus uh, from Christmas break, um, so a, a great way to return. Uh, definitely not the game that I was expecting to get out of that one. UMass, uh, got to give them credit. The Minutemen definitely jumped up on my power ranking um, after watching that game live, um, and I think they proved you know maybe they're not at you know winning the A10 right now, but. Um, definitely a team that can push some of the top teams um, I think that it was also interesting Kobe Elvis uh, went down in that game came back a little bit sat on the bench the whole second half um, so that was that was pretty interesting to experience live just being able to see him walk back and forth from the locker room um, but uh, some videos that have been posted from practices have shown him in practice jersey um, so hopefully he's good to go for this weekend but yeah, Flyers sitting at 2-0, top of the conference. Um, it, it's been fun being the front-runner. We were in this position pretty much a year ago, um, and we know how last season went for the Flyers, which is pretty less than ideal. Um, so, you know, second year here at Dayton, second year at uh, you know leading the conference, but I definitely, you know, you can't be too confident um, and, until we get to March. Uh, looking good right now, but a long road uh, of conference play
0: yeah absolutely and will your loyal chicago ramblers a 2 and one starts the season you know uh, to the a10 season i should say they had a bit of a rough first year in the conference uh what do you think has allowed them to kind of get off to you know a a bit more stable beginning to this conference slate
3: absolutely and i think right now honestly if you're a fan in rogers park you've got to be thrilled to be two and one right now Very exciting play. Obviously, maybe not doing the most offensively, but I think defensively, as we saw in non-conference, these guys are really going back to their roots. Obviously, with Drew Valentine, he served under Porter Moser, a very defensive-minded team, and that's really what's kept them in some of these games against Duquesne even. I think that was very surprising to me when we went down by 11. Uh, Sam, as you mentioned just a minute ago, this is not the same team of old that was you know, if we went down by double digits, Oh, we're just going to put our heads in the sand and, and give up. No, no, no. This team is fighting and they're, they're ready to go. And I'm, they're showing me a lot. Obviously the game against Richmond, I have some, some questions with how uh, coach Valentine kind of finished that game. But um I think to be two and one through three games is, is very exciting, but some very tough matchups ahead against KGs, UMass uh, next Wednesday. And of course, St. Joe's uh, on Saturday afternoon. But um. Again, I, I could not be happier with this team, and I think we're uh treading in the right direction and we can hopefully keep competing as uh the games start to get more meaningful down the stretch.
0: Yeah, so I wanna actually, you know what, that'll be a great segue into our first segment, but I want to put a pin in that for just a quick second while we talk to David, and I wanted to go over this real quick. You know, we kinda we, I, I'm kinda going around the whole gambit here, give it get get everybody's takes on their teams. So obviously, David GW opened up their A-10 play with a stunning triple overtime loss to the Fordham Rams.
4: Yeah. A so, wild
0: game. I think GW had – I mean, I I would say both teams had a lot of opportunities to put this one away. GW, I think uh, there was that one really kind of open they, – they, they found that open lane, I believe, at the end of regulation or at the end of the first overtime that, that turned into a dunk that, that tied the game. That was the end
4: of the second overtime when – Uh, Trey Autry was inbounding. Uh, The play was to set up a three for Garrett Johnson or James Bishop. But Darren Buchanan, who scored 38 points that night, which is a a season high for freshmen in all of college basketball on that play, identified himself in a one-on-one with his defender. Saw Fordham was trying to do a switch on the perimeter. Just called out for the the play for the open dunk, send it to overtime, that was great. But while we get into that game, I just want to point out one thing you said, Sam. You said both teams um, you're you're forgetting about another factor in that game, which was the, the referees who, by the time it got to a third overtime, made a decision that they they wanted that game to end, and they did not want that game to go to a fourth overtime. You know, can you really blame them? 55 minutes, like, it, it's a long game, it's a long game, but GW was playing uh, two opponents that night, so uh, I just want to make sure that is known, but that was a that was a crazy, crazy game for sure, and what a way to start conference play for GW and Fordham.
0: Any specific call that kind of makes you feel like GW is playing a bit of a, a two-on-one there? I I, I, I I, mean, I I might be showing my bias a little bit here, but I'm I'm not really sure.
4: Pretty much all of the contact Elijah Gray got in the third overtime was very weak, uh, and I, I think the big issue was that I feel like the game was officiated differently on both sides, where... Um, fouls that will be being called under the basket for Ford and were not being called for GW. And, uh, I, I think that just a more consistent style, cause again, were those fouls? Maybe, but they weren't getting called for GW. And so they, they, you can't have it both ways where, or you need, need just needs a bit more parity on both sides. And honestly, you know, I do get it. I understand that happens when games go on that late. The referees sometimes do make a business decision to, you know, to end the game. And people don't like to talk about it, but that happens. And it sucks that GW is on the losing end of that. And I feel like the game really was out of their hands at a certain point.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I can give Fordham some props, you know, aside from, you know... Oh, yeah, Fordham
4: played great. I'm not saying they didn't play great. I was very impressed with what I saw from them. And they had the best offensive... Their best offensive performance of the season probably their highest potential offensive performance that that group could possibly had. And that was very impressive.
0: Yeah. Um, a couple, a couple quick stats that I, I threw up on Twitter at, at, at the end of that game that were also that, that, that Ford and basketball also, uh, confirmed on their own official outlets. They scored 119 points in that game. Uh, that was their most in a game since, uh, beating Yale in 1971. Um, and they also, they also hit 19, three uh, yeah sorry they hit 19 three-pointers and that was their most ever in a game so that was uh, a pretty impressive mark from Fordham uh you know if I could you know since we're going around I I mean if I could talk about Fordham Fordham's had a pretty impressive performance uh beyond three these last couple games they've been shooting they've they've only shot uh under 30 percent I believe on three occasions the entire season so for a Fordham team that really prides itself on kind of playing physical, playing very close to the basket, uh, a, a very defensive-minded team. Their three-point shooting has has taken a considerable jump. Um, but I want to circle back to something that, Baz, you were saying before um, about Loyola uh, and, you know, getting into our first segment where we're talking about three, two, three games in, some of the teams that we feel like in the A-10 have either overachieved or underachieved in the early part of the season. Uh, Loyola Chicago picked to finish 8th in the conference in the preseason poll is currently sitting at 6th. Not that big of a jump, but at 2 and 1 in conference, 10 and 6 overall, they are already uh showing to be a much better team than last year's Ramblers which which struggled in the Atla- in their first season in the Atlantic 10. Where do you think that change started? Was it in the portal? Was it in a shift in how coach valentine handles this team or do you feel like there was um you know a, a couple guys that really matured and might have stepped up on this roster
3: well first of all uh sam i think you've got to shout out des watson i think that might have been one of the best uh, transfer acquisitions that this team made in the offseason um i think he's just he's got a great touch um, with the ball he might not be the best from from you know two point but you know if you give him a shot from beyond the arc I mean he'll he'll hit it quite a bit and I think he's a reliable scorer for the Ramblers and you know as we saw in that Richmond game obviously I do have some issues with this um you know Philip Alston sat for most of that those crucial minutes against Richmond and I think having that extra you know physical presence with with Alston out there could have been helpful uh but to 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 go back to what I was just talking about I think Des Watson's been great Damon Delican's been excellent off the bench he's really efficient. He's great from within five feet. He can use his muscle and his his physical presence to really um, penetrate and just get those easy twos, those tough twos even. Uh, so I've been happy with his performance. As for the rest of the transfers, I've been uh, a little bit disappointed. Uh, I think Greg Dolan's more of a, a one-dimensional player, as uh, we've seen in these last few games. Hasn't been contributing as much, has been getting fewer minutes. Um, Patrick Mwamba, more of a defensive ace, but I'd like to see a little bit more out of him. Uh, offensively, but I think it's exciting to see some of these young prospects develop, especially Jaden Dawson. He had a great game uh, against Richmond the other night. Uh, I, I will say I was a little critical of Drew Valentine giving uh, the sophomore the, the the final shot to kind of ice the game. I know he had the hot hand, but um, I would have really liked if they had maybe you know called a timeout instead of rushing the ball up the floor and trying to get a shot off because they had a timeout to use. And um, you know, I just think that the, what's really holding them back is just. They're a team that's very – and I know I'm being kind of circuitous here, but they're a team that's very different, right? I mean, in the first half uh, of all games this season, they're averaging 36 points a game. That's in the top 100 in D1 right now. But in the second half, they just come to a halt. 34.4 points a game, that's 306, And their opponent second half points is 37th. That's 34.1 points a game. So really my issue is is it's like they get too cute. They just get too comfortable and that's why we saw that, that slew lead, you know, in their first game kind of dwindle is because they got comfortable. It became six points at half. And then in the second half with about 13 minutes ago, they tied it. So if they really, really, really want to kind of move into that upper echelon of teams, they're going to have to start playing more competitively throughout the 40 minutes of play instead of just having a great 10 minutes and then kind of coasting along and expecting everything to stay the same in business as usual. I, I don't think that can be the status quo for the Ramblers going forward.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Des Watson, uh, you know, averaging 12.6 points a game. Actually, it's, it's pretty impressive for a team like Loyal Chicago to have five players right now at averaging at least eight points per game. That's a pretty well-spread uh, scoring load there. And obviously, Watson transferred after spending two years at Davidson. Transfers, you know, within a conference, you know, at the high major level, at the, at the mid-major level, not the most common thing, not completely unheard of, not completely unheard of in the A-10, as we see, you know, with guys like uh, Joe Bamisil, but um, what do you think it is about Watson transferring within this conference that, you know, a lot of people have tried to, you know, say, I mean, I feel like something that we say has uh, a pretty unique style of play. What do you think about transferring within the conference has kind of allowed him to hit the ground running and be a huge impact player for this
2: Loyola team.
3: Well, I think one thing that you could point to is he's a Columbus guy, obviously on Loyola's team. We have two guys from Columbus. That's Austin and Braden Norris. So that's kind of like the, the Knights of Columbus there in the backcourt Phil's more of a four though. But anyways, Uh, I just think that connection, right. It's like you guys, they played against each other in high school. They know each other. There's that chemistry. Um, Phil went to Westerville. Um, Des went to DeSalle, so obviously pretty respected high school programs there in Columbus. Uh, but I just think I, I think his game is just really helpful. And as you mentioned, there are five players right now on that Loyola roster that are averaging eight points a game. That's huge. I mean, obviously Jaden Dawson, not as big of a contributor last year, wasn't used as much in the rotation, but it's exciting to see him getting good minutes and being a starter uh night in and night out. Uh but I think just Des, I think he's very he's cocky and he's unafraid. I think that was kind of the problem with Loyola last year and some of the transfers that they made, you know, through the portal. It wasn't like they were getting guys that were really like physical. You know what I mean? You were kind of getting these like veterans to come in and kind of be a stopgap and be leaders for a very, very young Loyola team that was expected to compete in a very competitive conference. And it, you know, I just think they didn't really work out as well as uh coach Valentine and the staff may have predicted, but I think he's, he's fearless. He's willing to take those shots and, Obviously as we saw in that Richmond game, he took a technical foul. He was getting a little cocky, but I think you need that edge. You know, I think you need somebody that's that's willing to be unafraid and and take shots and, and be a little bit more physical and hard nosed and just being that guy who can really be a spark when you need it. You know, I think that's great that we have him and um hopefully he continues his his excellent play uh as we get deeper into these conference games.
0: And this next question, I kind of want to open up to, to the entire group here, but it's, it's still specifically with Loyola Chicago, looking at their, their first three games played in conference and then their next four. Um, if you were looking at this schedule when the preseason poll came out, uh, you would say that they were, they were starting off their, 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 their conference slate on a pretty upward climb, right? St. Louis, Duquesne, Richmond. Richmond obviously has been. You know they, they're they're fairly consistent. They're, they're second in the conference at two and zero, and an excellent
3: St. defensive team, may I add, very yeah. good. And the fact that we only held them to fifty eight points, even 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 you know we we kept it close. Like I thought we were going to get blown out of the water, but uh, I'll let you continue on.
0: Yeah, I mean holding holding a lot of teams in in this conference under sixty is is a a gold star performance. Um, but St. Louis, Duquesne, Richmond. Those first two teams were, you know, a lot of people had high expectations for St. Louis. I mean, St. Louis is always, you know, one of the, you know, it's, uh, you know, a respected team in the conference. <laughs> Sean's giving me the thumbs down here, but they're pretty
4: hot. Where they came in in the preseason poll was such a disgrace to that poll. That and the number one vote to Fordham. Like when I saw that, I I lost all respect for for what that meant, and I really took no stock to any of the rankings. I'm sorry. I think any most people who had a pulse on this league did not have high expectations for St. Louis going into the season.
0: Fair, yeah, but they they so they finished sixth. So you know if you're if you're rank if you're evaluating your schedule based just just based off of the preseason poll, you know Duquesne was finished for uh, picked to finish fourth, St. Louis was finished picked to finish sixth, and then their upcoming slate: St. Joe's, UMass, Fordham, and VCU. St. Joe's and UMass have kind of shot up, you know, St. Joe's more so uh, in the in the non conference, but they've they've kind of shown that they're 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 also kind of sur- surpassing expectations. So, do you guys feel like this next these next four games for uh, for Loyola Chicago or are going to be a crucial test for for these Ramblers?
1: I'm gonna if say. I...
3: Oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. I'm sorry. i
1: sorry, Baz. I I'm butting in here because. There's UMass is mentioned in here UMass um, definitely this UMass Loyola Chicago game both teams are already overachieving where they were in the preseason poll I am not very happy with the UMass preseason poll and I'll get on that rant a little bit later on I'm sure but this game for Loyola Chicago and UMass that's probably going to be a highlight game that we're going to see from both the Ramblers and the Minutemen I mean I've been impressed from what I have seen from the Ramblers so far. And, well, they beat Harvard when UMass couldn't beat Harvard. So I was like, you can't really compare wins and losses in this conference because this conference wreaks havoc and chaos on itself. That's something I love to reiterate every time I think about this conference. But you can never compare two teams when they play like the same team because both teams could be having different kind of nights, and you never know what their opponent is so, facing. So, this one's gonna be an interesting one for Loyola, Chicago, and UMass. And I don't mean to be rude, Baz, but I got it all on the minute, man. And the woman, funny enough, for both Loyola and UMass play the same night out at UMass too. But that's beside the point. We'll get to that later on. I think that's a good point. I think in at, at least the way that I'm looking at it, and obviously
3: I cover the Ramblers, I do think um, just, just based on size alone, I think that the Minutemen are a lot more physical, and obviously the way that uh, Coach Martin coaches his teams, um, I think that it's going to be a very physical game, and I think that's one that uh, UMass will probably dominate a little bit more in. But I think the St. Joe's game is really going to be the bigger test for Loyola because obviously we know that St. Joe's loves that three ball, and Loyola has a terrible quite frankly 3 point defense one of the worst in the country at least in my mind i mean we just we give up way too many threes i mean it it within you know 20 feet or so i mean we're fourth in the country right i think we're only if if my memory serves we're about uh 42% and that's again fourth in the nation in all 2 point percentages so as long as we can hold them from outside that arc i think that's got to be a real real adjustment game for Loyola but UMass uh, I think that'll be a very physical game that will probably be, be dominated by the Minutemen. But Fordham's been struggling. I think, um, uh, based on the way that they have played in non-conference, in this, I mean, obviously the the St. Joe's game. Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm confusing them with St. Louis, of course. You know, uh, but my my point stands. I think that um, uh, Fordham, I think, could be a game that goes Loyola's way, and then VCU's having a little bit of trouble themselves. So, uh, I think those are that's going to be a game that, you know, even though they might look easy on paper, again, I think we've we've all learned, especially in the Atlantic 10, as KG mentioned, no win is an easy win and no game is an easy game. So they're really going to have to fight hard for 40 minutes. And really, uh, as you mentioned, Sam, these next four games are just the biggest for these teams going into February and then um, kind of setting the tone for the rest of the conference play.
2: I, I'm very excited for the, uh, for the UMass Loyal Chicago game. Um, like we said, you know, a little bit earlier, UMass took on, um, my uh, hometown team flyers and I mean, really gave them a run for their money. Um, but I mean, I, I think this, the St. Joe's game as well. St. Joe's obviously had a few uh, non-conference, really big games, big wins. Um, and I think as someone who covers a team that so far, at least has been at the top of the table, I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, teams two through six, even seven or eight, um, how that all shakes out. I think that the 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 rest of the pack, honestly, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, you know, the bottom few teams, but um, the teams that are, are going to be in contention for going deep in the conference tournament and, and winning a lot of games in conference play, um, I think that it's going to be kind of a crapshoot for the the lack of a better term. I mean, there's a lot of teams that can compete on any given night. I mean, UMass, I think, had it within two at one point uh, of Dayton. I mean, late in the game. I was not having a good time at UD Arena for a few minutes. Um, and so I, I was definitely impressed with a team, you know, that was picked not towards the top of the table um, in that preseason poll. Um, and, you know, as much as I, I love to, you know, hate a little bit on those those preseason polls and, you know, they never really work out exactly how people predict them, um, I think our conference specifically, it's just cause there's so many teams that could win any game. There's so few games even as a as a Dayton fan that I go into with you know full confidence that um that we're just gonna beat down on some other conference opponent. I mean really any team can give us a run. Um so I, I'm really interested to see the UMass Loyola Chicago, St. Joe's as well, some of those second or third tier teams in the A-10 um, and see who's going to battle it out and, and take those next few spots in the rankings.
4: Yeah, so Sean, I think you brought up a great point there with talking about how sort of a lot of these teams can beat each other any given night. And I think um, something we've seen at the start of conference play is two through 15 in this conference, um, da- excluding Dayton at one, I really think two through 15 on any given night, no result will shock me going forward. Rhode Island's performance their their start to the season really I I thought Rhode Island was a clear clear bottom so far i I was not very high on them but but their hot start has shown me really anybody th- in this two through 15 range is is capable of winning a game home or road whoever like, like it's it's gonna be crazy i I I was hoping before the season that or before conference play started that It would maybe be a bit less cannibalistic so that we could maybe have a path to multiple bids beyond just sort of hoping Dayton crashes in the conference tournament and someone else gets the auto bid. But I think Rhode Island's hot start has really shown that really any team on any given night in this conference, again, I'm excluding Dayton for now because I do think they have sort of, they are a step above at this point. It's it's really gonna be, depending on the way you look at it, an exciting, frustrating, just really who knows what's gonna happen the rest of the way.
0: Sean, there was something I wanted to kind of pick apart there. Sometimes I feel like this is not just a this is not really just a Dayton thing. It it, it can happen with any team that's that's kind of going through conference play uh, as as the favorite, not just in the A ten, but just a- around college basketball in general. Honestly, in sports in general. When you're the top dog for a while, even when you're getting wins, if they feel like there are these kind of wins where you're playing it, you're playing it a bit close to the chest and you're not dominating opponents. And, you know, people are really, you know, it's, it's, it's back and forth, lots of runs. You can kind of go through a season a little bit on edge, but, In a conference where we know that happens like the Atlantic 10 is it kind of promising for Dayton to have a test like that this early in the season against UMass and not just find their way out of it but but come out of a come out of it with a pretty a pretty decisive win do you feel like that sets the tone for them being prepared for these 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 trap situations that you know a a lot of people in the Atlantic 10 are, are kind of Hoping to happen so that the league can kind of be a a, a two bid league. I
2: don't know. There's a there's a few ways to look at it. Um I think that Dayton played an awesome non conference schedule. Um I loved that we played Houston. Um got LSU in there, Northwestern. Um, you know, seeing a few uh power five, power six conferences, I thought that was great. Um, you know, I I think that I mean, obviously a win against Houston looks better than a loss, but our only losses being Northwestern and Houston looks really good. Um, And that's something that honestly has benefited us a little bit in some of the rankings is like, okay, these guys are 12 and two. There's a lot of teams that are 12 and two, but how many teams their losses against the number two country or number two team in the country. Um, So I I think that it was great that we got that testing early on, but like you said, um, you know, I, I think that, It was definitely sketchy, the the UMass game, Um, not super awesome. And and part of me would love to see Dayton Cruz, you know, just win every game by 15, every game by 15. Like You know, that would be great. Um, and, And I think that it's cool. I think the big difference from this year's team to last year's team is this year's team is getting judged on how much they win by. You know, it's not like, did we win? It's like, man, we didn't win by enough. Like we dropped in the rankings because we won by too little. Um, and that's not the conversation we were having last year. Last year is like, man, you know, we got through that game, all right. Like, let's move on to the next one. Um, uh, glad that's over, and, and now, um, you know, it's more like, are we gonna cover what we got to get to? Um, so, uh, you know, I think that that's a, definitely a cool kind of metric to to be looking at. Definitely different than last year. Um, I think it was also great to see them close that game. Um, you know, do I love it that it was two points with like three minutes left? Absolutely not. Um, but it's great that Dayton is getting into some games where, you know, the, the momentum is against them. UMass had scored a bunch in a row. Dayton didn't make a bucket for two or three minutes there for a little bit, had to use a few timeouts and they're able to close it out and, you know, it was a bit of a relief to get it over with, but uh, I think that it's great to go through that um, in a real game where, you know, momentum's not for you. You know, we had the home crowd. I think it would be awesome to get into a game like that in an away, uh, crowd just to see how the players react. I mean, Dayton has the most capacity in the A-10. The home crowd is nuts. Student section is nuts. Um, so, you know, how much that helps, you know, maybe that helped out a little bit, um, this past week, but yeah, no, I, I think that, it it was great um, to get that competition. As much as I would love to see Dayton cruise, I, I don't think that we're going to go perfect in conference play. I feel like that's thrown out every year. It's been thrown out the both years that I've been at school here. It's like oh, Dayton's going to go, you know, un, unbeaten in conference play and and cruise into the tournament and you know ride off into the sunset. And it's like no, that's not happening for almost anybody. Um, and, and so I. I also think it's good sometimes. Sometimes you need that loss where it's just pressures building and building and building. And it's like, all right, when is when is it going to happen? And I would much rather drop a game against UMass or, um, you know, if Rhode Island has a night and and they come in and beat us, um, because that's uh, just like what David said. You know, that's a reality. And I do believe that Dayton has moved themselves ahead of the rest of the pack in the A-10 but that absolutely doesn't mean that they're going to go unbeaten. Um, and I think that there's a lot of quality, you know, like David said, two through 15. Um, anybody could get it on any night. And so, um, I think that's important for Dayton to try and figure out, especially headed hopefully for the tournament. Um, that, you know, even if right now we're slated as a five or six seed, that 11, 10, 11, 12, 13 seed you know the 12 over the five is the the big upset pretty much every year that happens um and we're right in that territory you know if we end up as a five seed you know don't think that we're automatically into the second or third round um you know there's a lot of really good teams in the mid-major level so yeah
0: absolutely and then you know if you're kg that win over umass it's 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 very impressive Uh, Especially if you're comparing it in contrast to you're you're comparing it to uh, their preseason ranking. So KG, I want to give you the floor a little bit to talk about why, you know, I think we we're all seeing it now, but why you felt like UMass was going to surpass this this preseason ranking of 13 in the preseason a10 poll.
1: And this is why I saved my rant for the preseason poll. To now, may I just point that out? UMass getting picked number thirteen in this preseason poll. Granted, yes, only returning three players apart in major minutes, Rasul Diggins, Matt Cross, and Keon Thompson, all of which have improved vastly um for our team for this team and have been starting every single game and have been consistent for the most part, with the exception of Keon kind of having a little bit of an off night at Dayton, and then three point shooting hasn't essentially been UMass's friend the fact that UMass has been able to close out games and like somehow come back in like those like games that they had a lead or didn't even have a lead and then come back to it midway through that first half at Dayton I was thinking okay this is this is a blog. why am I even watching this anymore um and yeah I know I'm being a Debbie Downer but honestly the preseason poll you you they don't know anything about any team, especially if there's been high turnover like this UMass team has had. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I've said this a lot up at the Mullen Center. I've been saying this to some of the people that I talk to on a daily basis for media. This team gives me the vibes of a team I have not seen in a decade. And that in that, de- in that de- decade, it was Chaz Williams was on the team last The last time the UMass made the NCAA tournament, the last time we had six teams in the NCAA tournament in the 2013-2014 season. This team, granted, they had basically 10 people come in brand new at the start of the year. And then they did a trip to Puerto Rico and then did like a whole bunch of like scrimmages against each other. Scrimmaged the Commonwealth, the TBT alumni team for UMass. Considering they got that experience in to play as a team and to really connect, it definitely has helped UMass. And honestly, having like been to like an open practice as a season ticket holder, it's shown that this team has those vibes and they are they want to win. They want to compete against a Dayton every single day. And in the four losses that UMass has endured so far on the season, UMass has won their next game every single time. And has won it by at least 14 points. Which is a stat that I learned of last night after the win over LaSalle. And honestly, this UMass team is probably the most improved UMass team I have seen since, again, the prime Derek Kellogg era. And even when Travis Ford, the St. Louis head coach now, was at UMass before he got hired off to Oklahoma State. So, Considering the fact that this UMass team is reminding me of the vibes of, from what I have heard of the Cal Parry, from what I've heard of, of the Travis days, and really what I've seen from the Kellogg era, this team has a chance. It's just they need to be able to string together wins. They need to be able to like, not get up, like, overdo it on themselves. And well, that preseason poll, preseason poll doesn't know what it's talking about, honestly, half the time. Because if you look at it now, even if you look at our preseason power rankings, yes, I am going to knock our power, preseason power rankings a little. UMass was underrated. UMass, I feel, is going to be up towards that top spot. And I know that's kind of like, kind of go- being a little biased towards UMass, but with what I've seen from Josh Cohen and how physical Matt Cross is, and Matt Cross, may I just point out, Having taken a blow, two blows to the head against Duquesne, had to take a concussion protocol test at ha- before halftime. Passes the concussion protocol test, starts the second half, of Duquesne, and was basically the leading scorer for UMass that night. And then he get Ma- Matt gets nailed in the face by Deron Holmes for that poster dunk and chips a tooth. After they that game, Matt Cross is out for two days with Pink Eye. Pink Eye did not practice the two days after the Dayton game. Went into the LaSalle game with barely any reps. And you can kind of understand the low-scoring night for that last, last night against LaSalle because of no reps. But let's just hope the physical brunt that Matt Cross has taken in the first three games of conference play is all he'll take in conference play, considering he's taken several blows to the head, an ankle, and now pink eye. Let's just hope that's it.
0: I mean, I'm not an athlete, but I and I have not really sustained any major um, like injuries like that. I've never broken a bone, never gotten a concussion. I, I, I have to say, I feel like out of all those things you listed, the thing I would want the least right now is pink eye. Um, but I want to talk about Matt Cross for a second, and I, I wanted to get into something that I know David's going to be really uh, interested in talking about, and that is, you know, just, just an early look at some end-of-season, end-of-regular-season awards. Matt Cross right now, if you just, you know, if anybody listening at home wants to, you know, follow along on basketball reference with, uh, with me. Uh, Matt Cross right now, if we're talking about both points scored per game and total points scored on the season uh, is already on pace to have his best scoring season. Um, In terms of efficient field goal percentage, he is having uh, a career high this season. And if you're a fan of box plus minus, like myself, uh, you know, in terms of measuring that as a, as a, as a measure of efficiency, it is twice as high as his, his previous high last season. Last season was at a 4.1 average box plus minus per game. Right now he's at a nine point six. Um, if you were to put Matt Cross, if you're if you're filling out your your end of season awards ballot, and, and Matt and and Matt Cross, you know, is kind of cross, is I guess crossing your mind, no pun intended, is he kind of an early pick for 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 possibly a, a, a an end of season first team all conference? David, I, I would love to hear what your what your thoughts are.
4: Uh, I I think that UMass has a problem where their two best players are forwards, and so. I think Matt Cross and Josh Cohen will split a lot of votes for the all-conference teams. And uh, I-, I personally like Cross a bit better, and I think he's more valuable. But I think this is going to be a case where both may be deserving of sort of the two forward spots. Do we do positions for the conference teams? Like, do we really?
1: I know six players. Yeah, so... Cheap.
4: I, I don't know. I mean I, I think they're like supposed to do some sort of positional breakdown, but whatever it is. I I I think that Cross definitely has a path. I think a lot of it will hinge on UMass's overall success. You know, I think if they end up finishing top four, I don't think it's crazy for Cross and Cohen to both be first team if they are a big piece, but I do think if they are more middle of the pack, um I I do not necessarily See him as a surefire first teamer.
1: I just want to say this, David. You literally just mentioned Cross, Cohen, top four. Three things from my hot take from the preseason. I will still stand by all of my hot takes from the preseason for the men's bask for UMass men's basketball. I may not stand by Daniel Hankin Stanford making a co- all conference team. That one I won't. But I will actually add in a new hot take for all conference play. I could see. Jaden Jingay and maybe Jalen Curry, all rookie team for UMass. And Matt Cross is tough as nails. Basically, if you were going into a dark alleyway, this is how Frank Martin puts it with Matt Cross. He, Frank knows that he's getting out of that dark alleyway the other side for sure with Matt Cross. Matt Cross, I personally, I feel Matt Cross should be first teamer. Um, and I could possibly see, like, I could see him second team for sure if he doesn't make first team and Cohen if he get if Cohen gets it I'll see I could see him second or third team. I don't see him going first but it could happen. Um but I could also see Keon Thompson most improved from UMass just based off of increase in statistics from last season to this season just from Matt Cross and Keon alone.
4: Sam are we doing awards talk right now.
0: Yeah, because I I wanted to you know, those I think Kaylee just gave some great options. I know there's a guy that I would probably have on my first team right now that I'm sure you want to, you know, give give some light on.
4: Well well the thing that I think Kaylee said that uh sort of piqued my interest the most was most improved, because I think there is a clear player who we haven't mentioned yet, who I think is really the only choice for most improved this season, and that is St. Louis's Terrence Hargrove, who I think has basically held that team together um, has had a huge statistical jump. I have these numbers right here, but he's been forced to sort of play down low. And I love it when these sort of shorter players have to sort of man the post and he's done an admirable, admirable job. His scoring has jumped up from 5.9 points to 13.1, rebounds to 5.8 rebounds, shooting 29.3% from three last season to 40.4% this season um i think that's probably the the most clear-cut award we have right now and i i just wanted to bring that up because you mentioned keon thompson who is having a a great season and uh one thing about umass that has worried me before the season was their guard play and his play has sort of been a big reason why i'm feeling a bit more confident about umass being a potential top four team or at least not a pillow fighter like i thought they could be heading into the season but um Keon Thompson a great player, but I do not think he will sniff most improved so far.
3: But what about with Sincere Parker coming back, David? Do you think that changes anything? Because obviously Hargrove and Jimerson both kind of had to keep that team together. Hargrove 6-5, he's playing the 5. You know, it's not like... But now that you have Parker back, he's a pretty good scorer in the, the short sample size of games that he's played. He's done pretty well. So do you think even... Even with the numbers that he's had, do you think even with a new scorer back in the lineup, do you think that his impact will be as as big going forward into February and March?
4: I, I think he's shown enough now where, at least statistically, and shouldn't take a big enough dip where it will really... Because Har- Hargrove, I I watched a lot. I, I never really saw him as a scorer, and so I think the fact that he showed he could be a scorer and has succeeded... I mean team success hasn't really necessarily come with that but personally he's been he's been a great player this year I I think he's shown that he can will continue to deserve his share of the shots in in the St. Louis offense and yeah it may dip a little but I I I don't think that will really impact him too much
1: I just want to say this um I just thought of this randomly I don't know why but I do also have a nominee for rookie of the year, Garrett Johnson from GW, just with how many hurdles he endured to just come back to be able to play basketball. I just want to say that is just outstanding that he was able to do that. He had to take two years away from the court, I believe. And I know David wrote a lovely article about Garrett. Did you, David? I'm pretty sure you did.
4: I've written a few articles on Garrett. Um, Right. He, uh, if you want to check that out, go 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 find those on I-10 Talk. That's probably been the biggest story, honestly, national story to the Atlantic 10 this year, Garrett Johnson's uh, return to the court. But I'm glad you brought that up, Kaylee, because my favorite thing about Garrett Johnson so far this season is that the narrative has shifted away from him being a feel-good story to him being a legitimate player, which I think is all that he could have wanted, where instead of him being sort of a sideshow, he is a real piece on a very good GW team, and uh, you mentioned him as sort of a shoo-in for Rookie of the Year. Um, I think that's pretty clear. I think it'll be either him or Darren Buchanan Jr. I think it'll be a toss-up between the two of them. Uh, they've both been racking up Rookie of the Weeks, and I think that's a clear two-man race.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all um, from both of those. And granted, I don't follow much of every team outside in conference play just because I'm trying to focus on the two teams each night. What I saw from both of them in non-conference play was outstanding. And honestly, even the numbers that Buchanan put up against Fordham in triple overtime, that was just outstanding. And he deserved Rookie of the Week this past week. And honestly, this Rookie of the Week list is probably the most highly contended thing there is with how many freshmen we have in this conference that are outstanding. We have several on UMass, several on George Washington I'm sure there's several in other places too in the conference so
2: yeah i uh i think that that race is is an interesting one um as as a dayton you know correspondent um we you know we don't really have that character of a rookie of the you know week or a you know rookie team. I don't think that there's gonna be anybody on the dayton roster you know a year or two ago two years ago. Um, now we were the youngest team, um, like pretty much all freshmen. Um, and now that group has, has gone and, and now our team is filled with sophomores and juniors. Um, but I, I think the two guys that, you know, I'd be a happy camper, um, if they made it in is going to be Kobe Brea, um, in a six man of the year position coming off the bench. Dudes, he's Kobe Fuego for a reason. Um, and, you know, I think that is one of the toughest nicknames um, in the A-10. And uh, I think that he, he's been a big addition. I think especially if Kobe Brea sees more time off the court, injuries were, you know, Dayton's nightmare a season ago. Um, if that trend continues, Kobe Brea's um, role is just going to continue to trend up. And there's been a few games where he's come in, um, even just shooting three or four, I mean, that's sometimes all we need uh, as a team for him to just, you know, get it started from deep. Um, I'm not sure if he currently still is, but at one point he was uh, leading the nation in three point percentage. Um, so, I mean, just the consistency, uh, not necessarily he's putting up, you know, these crazy numbers, um, but I mean, almost every night he's going to come in, shoot three or four, four or five. Um, you know, maybe he's going to have a game where he'll pop off for 20 points or something. Um, but he's just so reliable off the bench for Dayton. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about honestly saying this, but I, I think that I would like to put Duron Holmes bid in for, um, for, you know, player of the A-10, um, or A-10 MVP. However, that ends up getting phrased, um, you know, two or three weeks ago might have said Nate Santos is Dayton's team MVP um one week ago might have said Kobe Elvis um Deron Holmes though he's he's been putting up some really big performances uh, as we've gotten into conference play and uh I think that if he can continue to be consistent put up consistent numbers um score the ball and, and play good defense like he you know always has um not only is Dayton going to benefit but his personal draft stock is going to benefit and uh i he was so talked about last year as going to the draft transferring i know his name was attached to duke for a little bit um you know in, in I, I don't N. think that was real right i don't think it was either i don't think it was either can we, can we look
4: back on that and say that was that was fake
2: yeah right? i i don't think that was ever uh, any legit claim um but i know at least on campus a lot of it was talked about as like he can go be the sixth man there and grab some serious nil money if that's what he wants to do. But he obviously came back and um, I. The last thing that I would want for him is for him to come back to college another year and his stock continues to drop. Um, so I think if Dron Holmes can keep that that motor running and the Flyers can keep cruising through conference play, um, you know Dayton's stock as a team could could keep going up. We're, we're starting to get into those um, those polls and top twenty fives. And uh, I know that he's been getting he's been put on a lot more mock drafts than he was over the summer at the end of last year. Um entering last season. He was a borderline lottery pick. And uh I I think that his name should end up somewhere in the first round um if he continues to keep keep playing this well and Dayton can get some more wins.
1: I just wanna mention quickly, since you mentioned Duron Holmes, we had Ace Baldwin last year, sweep player of the year and um defensive player of the year i could possibly see deron holmes maybe getting defensive player of the year but making all defensive team possibly it it, it's up in the year i don't know but that that's just something i'm throwing out there that would probably help his stock a little bit but james bishop mentioning nba draft to possibly all first team for sure
0: yes and i wanted to get into james bishop I feel like he could be I mean I don't know if he would be the number 1 contender but if anybody was going to you know kind of dethrone Holmes as as you know the the consensus you know player of the year uh David what would you say is uh Bishop's case here
4: Well it's for for player of the year we know how this conference works it's it depends on team success and I I'm not going to trick myself or I I'm not going to predict, because this is, my pr- I'm, this is a prediction, not what I personally believe. Uh, I'm not going to predict James Bishop to be the most uh, most outstanding player, conference player of the season, because I-, I-, I think it's become clear that this award is best player on best team, and and that's fine, and uh, Daron Holmes definitely deserves it. Last year, I think that was a little more suspect with Ace Baldwin, just because of his lack of statistical output. Uh, I understand how important he was to that team, but This year, again, assuming Chalk, assuming Dayton stays the number one team, is ranked, you know, is a high seed in the NCAA tournament, I don't think anyone would have any issue whatsoever with Duran Holmes. But James Bishop is, I think, sort of quietly having an absolutely fantastic season so far and should be talked about a lot in his own right. And I think in any other season, without Dayton being as good as they are, without them having a likely... NBA first-round draft pick with Deron Holmes, I think he would be in clear consideration for player of the season. He is leading GW to one of the top offenses in the country, in the top offense in the A-10. He's averaging 18.5 points, 4.7 rebounds. His efficiency up, he's leading GW. I, I don't have the numbers up right now, but their pace is just absolutely ridiculous. That signature moment he had against VCU where he nailed that circus shot to Give GW the one with like 1.7 seconds left. He is, he's he's kicked it up a notch. I didn't know if he could, and he really has. And he's playing his way into a very nice professional career, whether it's uh, in the NBA, overseas, whatever it is. He is one of the most fun players to watch in this conference. I believe he is the most important player to their team in this conference. And I think that, I'm not ready. I'm not confident to say Deron Holmes is necessarily the better player right now in college, and I think that James Bishop. There could be an argument that he is better, but again, I'm not going to say he's the player of the year. I, 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 I think it's Deron Holmes right now, but watch out for James Bishop. He he's doing a lot of cool things this season.
0: Absolutely, and I think we'll be able to watch out for him this weekend on a you know a pretty a pretty solid slate. Yes, uh, we you know when they when they play Davidson at two o'clock on Saturday. Um, we've only got two days worth of Atlantic Ten basketball on the men's side this weekend, so you know to finish off the men's side of this podcast, uh, I want to go around and you know just just have everybody tell me you know the game that they feel like they're looking uh, they're looking forward to the most. So obviously on Friday we've got Dayton versus Duquesne uh, at seven p.m. and for for you know the annual or you know the weekly Friday Ten. And then we've got six games on Saturday. So, KG, what are you watching first?
1: You got to go with that. Rhodey, UMass rivalry. I'm sorry. Go, UMass. Rhodey, you suck. I will flat out say it. I bleed the maroon and white. I literally have had people look at me on press row with how much I know for background sass with UMass. I do bleed the maroon and white. Um, But. UMass over Rhode Island. UMass versus Rhode Island on Saturday. I believe that's at 2 p.m. That's going to be a huge game to watch. But there's also two big games to watch on Monday, actually, funny enough, as we do have two more rivalry games. We have St. Joe's versus um, LaSalle. And we also have George Mason versus George Washington, a part of a triple header on CBS Sportsnet that third game is actually a is a women's basketball game which we'll talk about in a few minutes but i would say those three games are probably the bigger games this weekend for me as i love watching the conference rivalries with George Washington, George Mason, St. Joe's, LaSalle, UMass, Rhode Island. You got to always root for the hometown team. I think for
3: me uh the the games that i really want to be watching obviously Friday night uh, it's crazy to think that Duquesne is actually uh, favored over Dayton right now. I think it's Duquesne by one and a half last time I checked. But uh, that'll be a very exciting game on uh, ESPN2 for Friday 10. Uh, but Saturday, I think we talked about it earlier in the show. I think the the two biggest games for me that I'm seeing are obviously Loyola St. Joe's uh, at 4 o'clock and then uh, the GMU and uh, Richmond game at uh, 6 o'clock. I think that's a really big test for uh, Mason because obviously they're pretty – Pretty good offensive team. Uh, I was surprised that they are actually doing as well as they are, considering they had a lot of uh, breakup uh, after uh, last season. Uh, but Richmond's a really good defensive team, as we saw against Loyola uh, on Tuesday night. They're a very stout defensive team. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't turn the ball over a lot. Um and I think it'll be, it'll be, it might be a low scoring game. I think that's one that everyone's going to have to watch. The rest of them, I'm not super high on, but uh, the two evening uh, and late afternoon games are the ones that uh, I think everybody should watch.
0: Sean, your flyers going in as the underdogs here. Uh, a, a little, a little strange, strange line for you there.
2: Oh, it hurts. It hurts. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, you've got Duquesne. I mean, granted, flyers on the road. Um, so, I mean, that is is certainly a factor I said, I'd love to see us getting a, a really tight game on the road, um, just for that experience, especially flyers, hopefully headed into March madness going, hopefully we'll play at some point on the road, um, or at least a neutral site. Um, and I just don't know how, who created this line, who came up with that and who thought it was a good idea. Uh, Duquesne zero and two in conference play nine and five overall. Um, their streak two losses. Maybe they're betting on on them bouncing back. Uh, my flowers are at the top of the conference twelve and two. We've won nine in a row. This is going for double digits in a row. Um, that's one I, I definitely want to watch. It's also an ESPN two game. Um, so great to see that that publicity for the a ten um, and it's an a ten standalone game. Um, so for any A10 fans, Friday night seven o'clock. Um, I, I'm definitely interested. Um, I mean, granted, I don't have the full scoop on Duquesne um, as a Flyer fan, so I'm very excited to see what they have in store. I mean, UMass certainly surprised me. We've talked a lot earlier on how any team can can go and get a W on any night. So I hope that doesn't happen Friday. You know, I'd love for my Flyers to roll away with an easy win, um, but clearly. Other people think that it's going to be a closer game than I think. So very excited for that one.
0: And David, your Revs uh hosting two games in a row. Oh, sorry, hosting two games in three days. Uh first off, they've they've got the the Davidson Wildcats and then the George Mason Patriots. Kind of a tough schedule, you know, playing playing two games in three days, but both at home. How do you feel like do you feel like they're gonna wanna you know they're gonna they're gonna play a little a little bashful against Davidson, to kind of conserve some energy against Mason. Or do you feel like that I mean, home stand kind of helps out a little bit?
4: I'm pretty low on Davidson. I I just think they're that that Maryland that win against Maryland is a fluke. I I I really don't see any one of on that team giving GW a ton of issues. Even though GW's defense is a pretty big issue, so f- is a pretty big problem in itself so far. Um, that ideally GW gets ahead pretty early, is able to yank some starters and be able to conserve some energy, but this happens all the time. This happens every year. GW and Mason play every year on MLK day. It's becoming a tradition. So they have had to get used to that sort of Saturday to Monday turnaround. Um, you know, that's how it works in MTEs and how it works in the conference tournament. I don't think that they'll really go about business any differently. Um, that's how college basketball works. Um... But the the biggest game I'm excited for is uh, on Monday, GW, George Mason. I'll be in the building for that one. Um, both teams have been overperforming, I think, so far than preseason expectations. I think George Mason, we haven't really touched on them a ton, but um, I feel like their loss to VCU earlier in the week was a bit fluky. Uh, I'm really high on George Mason. I think Keyshawn Hall is one of the most fun players to watch in this conference and is another dark horse pick for conference player of the season if, sort of drawing Holmes out of the picture. Um, that game is really what I have my eyes on this weekend. Uh, I don't think there's an overall, I mean, I, I think a few weeks ago, Dayton Duquesne would have been great, but since Duquesne's kind of fallen off, and doesn't have a lot of juice to me. Um, I, I think GW George Mason on Monday on national TV on CBS is the middle game in that uh, A-10 men's and women's triple header. That really is what I'm locked in
0: on. You also just reminded me we have a, a three-day weekend coming up, so so thank you for that. Um, in that first game, you know, I feel like every team kind of has that point in the season where you're, you know, you're not, you know, a win is never guaranteed, but you're, you're, you're pretty confident. So sometimes those games are great for, like what you said, you know, get some guys out, work on some things. GW, you feel like this is uh, one of the better GW teams we've seen. If they can work on something in that Davidson game, what do you feel like? Some there's something you'd like to see.
4: Uh, I, I want to see the perimeter defense really. I, I want to see more sort of effort on. So something that's happened with this GW team, um, Babatunde Stretch Akimbola, I think, has been my one of the most fun players to watch in the Atlantic Ten this season. He's second in the country in. Blocks per game, had 11 blocks against Navy in non-conference play. Um, In what was personally my favorite individual moment of the season so far, he stuffed Joe Bamisole at the rim when Bamisole was going up for a dunk, which I think was just very therapeutic for a lot of GW fans who had to endure that uh, 2021 season. Um, A very frustrating year uh, that ended with Joe Bamisole missing a windmill dunk down 12 against UMass in the first game of the conference tournament to uh, send GW out. So um, I, I think that was a very nice moment. But what's happened is because he's so good on defense and so good in the interior, a lot of the perimeter defenders and the other four guys in the court will sometimes get a little relaxed and sort of, oh, it's okay if this guy gets by me, stretches right there at the rim, he can clean up my mess. Or, oh, like, you know, well, let's just focus on locking down the interior. It's okay. They, like, I, I want to see a lot more defensive effort from the other four guys on the floor and I would love to see GW hold Davidson to, I'm going to say under 65 points. That would be a really great benchmark for me and something I think would go a long way in showing that this team is more than just a team that can outscore you and is a team that can really beat you in a few different ways.
0: I love that and that's going to wrap up our, you know, our our coverage of the men's side. Um, Let's get into some of the women's basketball in, in the Atlantic 10. Obviously a couple of weeks ago we had a great preview pod for the entire uh women's side of things. KG, you spearheaded that along with Daniel, and that was a great, great showing. Um about two weeks in now, uh into into women's conference play, we've got a pretty interesting uh top four here. We got the Richmond Spiders at four and and then we've got actually a five-way tie for you know, second through six here. And that's one all... here with the mini groups.
1: The yeah. locking groups.
0: Um, we've got so we've got five teams at three and one, and that's Roadie, Mason, St. Joe's, VCU, and Duquesne. That's a pretty that's a pretty strong grouping there. Um, do you feel like Richmond right now they're on a seven-game win streak? I'm sorry. Excuse me, they're on a five-game win streak, seven-o at home. Uh there are some really strong teams here. I'm, I'm just I'm just going through this. Richmond is seven. 7-0 at home. George Mason is six and zero at home. BC was nine and zero at home. Um, out of those three teams, is Richmond far and away the the front runner here, or do you feel like it's 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 neck and neck right now?
1: To quote Mike Laflore from the head coach of UMass, um, since UMass just played Richmond yesterday or Wednesday. We're we'll record as of recording Thursday night. Um, he said Richmond is one of the top teams in the conference. I just would like to point out. I thought for sure up until Davidson on a two-game losing skid as of last night. I thought for sure Davidson was title contention. I have now since rethought that. Um, and now I am thinking it's anywhere from Richmond. Rhode Island, and George Mason. Those are my three title contention, people. And Davidson lost two players in that blowout loss to George Mason last night. Sylvie Jackson and Susie Rose Deegan um, for both knee injuries at separate times in the middle of the game. Um, Sylvie Jackson did not put any weight on that leg when she was being helped off the court. I don't know exactly about Susie Rose Deegan. Um, Daniel Frank, our, one of our lovely women's correspondents, could tell you more about that whole thing as they were in person for that game. And, well, Daniel has turned me into a Mason fan on the women's side. And it takes a lot to turn me into a non umass fan on the women's side. And Mason has really impressed me this season with what they've been able to do. Considering their only loss in conference play comes to Rhode Island, that is probably a like huge thing going down the stretch. They don't play Rhode Island again, to my knowledge, and they like easily sailed past both Duquesne and Davidson. Now, I'm like I shouldn't be like hopping on this like too bad, but Mason has a tough stretch coming up. Um, they will have later in the conference play they'll have vcu still to play as well as um st joe's as well as another round of davidson but that's getting a little far ahead of us but honestly if you don't know much about the woman with the woman's side of the 810 i highly highly suggest you go and listen to the december 30th episode as daniel frank myself and jacob munch The three of us broke down every single team in the conference, and we had Zach Austin from Rhode Island come in and talk everything Rhode Island Rams for that. That is a two hour special. And with the amount of input we heard, we're possibly going to do another one again towards conference tournament time. But again, that'll be decided at a later date. But honestly, this is two through like, there's no clear number one. This is everyone fighting for themselves right now. And I know Baz can talk about this, too, because I can tell you, Loyola Chicago has impressed me so far this season.
3: Yeah, we're finally turning into a little bit of a basketball school here, KG. It's exciting, obviously. Um, very exciting to see the the, the women competing, uh, beating Rhode Island, the defending A-10 champions uh, at home I, uh, on Wednesday night. Home
1: regular season champions. UMass has a share of the regular season Okay, type.
3: all right. All right. I'm sorry. I I cannot um but hey, we, we play them next Wednesday uh, as you mentioned and I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh it's a, a men's and women's uh little double feature there. Uh but it's it's exciting obviously to to see um you know, obviously <laughs> after only winning one game uh, in conference last year um there's nowhere to go but up and it's exciting to kind of see us go wire to wire with some really really good basketball teams. you know, Dayton we were leading by quite a bit uh, in that game. we kind of fell apart towards the end. Um, but I think that comes with with uh, you know with growing right? I mean, we're in a, a much different conference. There's still some growing pains to be had and that's understandable. but hey, leading wire to wire against Rhode Island and uh, as good of a team as they were and and still you know continue to be. I think that's really a great morale booster for this team. And obviously Allison Guth is a wonderful mentor and coach and leader. And, you know, just the fact that they're competing at a much higher level than they were last season is exciting to see some exciting transfers. And Hey, I don't know. I mean, obviously we'll have more than one conference win, but uh, I'm very proud with how the, the Ramblers are playing on the women's side as well. And uh, they're definitely a fun team to watch. So if you're at Loyola, and you're listening to this show, get your you-know-what uh, out to uh, uh, a women's game at uh, Gentile Arena. You will not be disappointed by some uh, exciting product on the court.
1: Yeah, and I'm just going to say this, Baz. Um, looking at who they've played so far, they played St. Bonaventure, St. Louis, Dayton, and Rhode Island. If I'm going to be honest with you, they should have beaten Bonaventure. Should have beaten Dayton. Right.
3: I know. I know.
1: I I, I know. I know. But I'm just saying this. If they beat both Bonaventure and Dayton, we would be seeing a completely, like, holy what the bleep coming from Loyola Chicago. And I would, there would probably be several flags raised in my head saying, what is going on? Loyola Chicago with Iowa 2 to end non-conference play this Loyola Chicago team has officially impressed me on the woman's side. Not saying that I'm not impressed on the men's side, but the woman's side especially has really impressed me with how much of a turnaround they've had from last season to this season. So just want to shout that out. um, Baz.
2: I mean, all I've got to say, Dayton, one conference win. Who's it against Loyola Chicago? I mean, what What's a rambler? <laughs> um, No, I mean, I think, uh, I think honestly, Baz, like, Dayton is kind of in the same, the same zone as Little Chicago. I'm I'm happy with where they're at on the table. Uh, I'm still in the bottom half, um, but this is a program that last year was very very bottom of the table. Um, you know, two years ago, all the way at the top, uh, lost coaches, lost players, um, a, a total rebuild for the Flyers on the on the women's side, and um, I've talked about this with the guy that I call games with here at Dayton, Joe Sullivan. Um, And and we've talked about it and it's, it's kind of a slow rebuild. And, you know, I think that the Flyers are are headed in the right direction. I think last year was tough. We got some transfers, got a little bit older, more experienced second year with the coach. And, and I think that we're looking better. So uh, I think obviously not what you would love to see for a Flyer fan with how well the men's side is performing this year um women's side definitely not back to where they were a handful of years ago um but i think you can see the progress dayton is climbing back into it um and they're they're at least going to be competitive with the other teams in the bottom half um you know i don't think they're going to make any runs or anything like that but i think it's great for for ud to, to at least be able to get in there win some games maybe we'll pull off an upset or two um but you know, I think we're getting, we're getting back into the right direction. And uh, hopefully, you know, in another year or two, we'll see both men's and women's programs uh, back at the top of the table.
0: George Mason kind of setting the tone uh, offensively, right? For, for this conference, it's 76 points per game. There are five teams in the conference right now that are averaging at least 70 points per game. Do you feel like this KG is setting the tone for what is going to make a championship team uh, in the Atlantic 10? And if not, What does a championship team in this year's Atlantic 10 look like on the women's side?
1: Honestly, it does set a tone part of it. Um, Also just based off of how, just looking at how George Mason has played against some of the teams, like a Rhode Island and a Duquesne and a Davidson now, Um, not to discount their first game against LaSalle, but come on, it's LaSalle on the women's side that, their coaches kind of starting to get a little closer to the hot seat but he also had a lot of high turnover in the offseason losing all the Jacob sisters but Mason definitely setting a tone Mason could easily in their next two games they have um, this weekend off but in their game against St. Louis and their game at UMass they could easily easily win both of these by 30 plus George Mason has a stretch of at least the next three games not trying to discount your revs over there david but the next three games for the patriots seem very winnable and honestly david i actually have a question about the revs what are you seeing from this honestly with how gw is doing on the woman's side
4: this is going to be hard to to be nice about this and to spin this in any and not just tear them to shreds uh I I think the biggest issue I, I had really high expectations for, for GW heading into this season. They uh they were going to be one of the most experienced teams. They had were expected to start um, four COVID super seniors uh fifth years grad students like uh, that you don't see that in college basketball like that would that was good. I I thought that could be sort of a, a game changer for them, but. It's really been a struggle this season for GW. I don't want to spend too much time on them because I do think they're largely irrelevant in the scheme of the Atlantic 10 right now, but um, just no offense. I I think that uh, this team doesn't really know how to score other than give it to Nia Robertson and hope she can make something work on her own. It's a really unfortunate scene what's happened to the women's program at GW, and um, head coach Caroline McCombs has had a full recruiting cycle and has had enough time to sort of get a group that she should feel comfortable with in there. And she hasn't really been able to implement any sort of successes. So not, not great over in GW for the women, but overall um, I was going to say with, with how I think the season's going to go with their sort of being a hodgepodge at the top with Davidson sort of taking a step back recently that lends me to, to give my, um, prediction to Rhode Island to come out of the Atlantic 10 because I think they have the most experience I think that they have sort of the winning pedigree I guess and with again when I when I don't really know where else to look and I see a lot of relative inexperience around them that tends me to go towards the experienced team and I think Rhode Island as things currently stand will probably be the team to come out on top in Richmond.
1: Yeah, don't disagree at all with you on that. I mean, I would love to see Mason or even Richmond or St. Joe's finally come away with something. But Tammy Reese and that Rhode Island squad do deserve the credit that they haven't been getting. They shared the title with UMass last year. Uh, Obviously, UMass is a whole different look now. Um, But UMass has been able to kind of keep it close the past few games. They won their first conference um, game under Dayton, or under coach Mike LaFleur against Dayton. Um, held it close against St. Louis. That St. Louis game was very aggravating to watch. And again, just Rebecca Tilley like going out like yelling at fans, know the rules. Why why are you gonna initiate fans at the end of the game in a close game? That is not a good idea. Um but honestly, the top of this conference. Can, has kind of beat themselves up a little bit. Davidson, who had the best chance of an at-large bid, now lost two games in a row, first one to VCU on sun, this past Sunday, and now to George Mason. Has me a little concerned, especially now of two injuries of Susie Rose Deegan and Sylvie Jackson. So you never know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and we've got four straight days of A-10s women's basketball ahead of us. Uh, they are not taking a break on Sunday, like on the men's side. So we got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday games every single day. Starting off with on Friday with Friday ten, uh, the Arch Baron Cup. We got uh, a, you know not not the uh, highly touted Arch Baron Cup in comparison to maybe some other years, as both Dayton and St. Louis are entering this game at one and three in conference play. But if you're a fan of either of these teams, what's something you could be looking forward to? Sean, what what will you like to see most out of this Dayton team to both get a win and kind of get things uh you know, kind of straight in the boat a little bit here, uh heading into heading into February?
2: Uh yeah, I mean I think a big thing is just consistency. I mean if you look at Dayton's record this season, we're seven and eight and went loss, win, two losses, three wins two losses, two wins, three losses, no win. Uh, So, I mean, the trends would say, hopefully we'll get a win tomorrow. And and I think that that is, um, I think that would just really be key for for this team. It's a team that's, you know, like I said earlier on on the podcast, we're trying to rebound off of this whole big reset with the women's program. And I think that we're headed in the right direction. Um, So I think if we could go on a bit of a run, we had three losses. Ended non-conference play against Vanderbilt, seventeen-point loss. Really bad loss against uh, Duquesne, seventy to forty-two. Yikes! And then um, I do have the definition of a rambler. Thank you, Baz, for sending that. Um, but our win against Loyola Chicago, um, I, I think that that was that was big. Um, I'm sorry, I missed a, a, mass, a loss at UMass. Hate to say it, but KG, you took us down. Um, so I, I, th- I think evening up in conference play, we'd be sitting at two and two. I think that would be a spot that I personally would be really happy seeing Dayton at um, going 500 in conference play. I think that would be an awesome long term goal for the Flyers. We we're way under that last season, so to hit 500 this year and then um, really extremely long term goal is next year to be up above that 500 mark in um, conference play. I, I think that would be great. Um, and, and that's really how I'm viewing this team. I mean, this team isn't one that I'm really looking at on like a game by game. I think the men's team is a lot more in that conversation of, you know, taking each game and how is that affecting our ranking and how is that, you know, all all of that sort of stuff and the net and, you know, kinpom and all the metrics, Um, the women's team, you know, it's not one that I think is going to compete for, Conference title, you know, this year whatsoever, and I don't think we're to that level. So I think right now, playing consistent basketball, playing the whole game, really solid, not letting games that we should win escape from us, and maybe closing out one or two that that we're the underdog in. Um, I think that's the type of stuff that Dayton can really focus on right now, and, and view this as a team that this year is still rebuilding. Next year, maybe we can come in and compete, you know, at a little bit of a higher level and push some of the top teams um, in the conference. I think that that would be great to see.
1: Sean, just to kind of kind of make you feel a little better, now having seen both Dayton and St. Louis play in person, um, both coaches in their second year at their respective programs, but honestly, St. Louis, unless they can have their act together, they can't. They don't play with confidence like they did last year. That's what St. Louis is really missing. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I feel Dayton has a better chance of winning this one. And like you said, stringing together a win here would be a nice thing to kind of create a little more consistency for the Flyers program. I could see Dayton woman possibly pulling out this win. I could see it also being very close as well as you never know what can happen. Um with this conference, but St. Louis did just lose to St. Joe's this past week, so I think they could have a little bit of their momentum knocked out of them after that big win against UMass, even though it was only by four. Um, I feel like Dave, Dayton has a better chance, even though both both of those games were close like wins for both St. Louis and for Dayton. So you never know on Friday at 10. Yeah. Uh,
2: the, yeah the last little Piece of information I have for this women's team is um, I actually called uh, the Lindenwood game. It was our our first home game of the season um, on our radio, and that was coming off of nearly a fifty point loss against UConn. What a way to you know open your schedule at UConn! That was fun. Uh, number two team in the country at that point, they've slid in the rankings a little bit, um, but I mean. Dayton pulled off a 91 73 win against Lindenwood and not that Lindenwood is a, you know, highly tired program or anything like that. But I mean, to get, to get beat by a top five, top 10 team um, in UConn in your first game and then bounce back and put up 91, um, you know, regardless of who you're playing, I think that speaks to the level of continuity that Dayton is playing with. Um, and, and that the team is definitely bought into to what we're trying to do and that they are, you know, a tougher team to beat than I think that we were a season ago. Um, And and that's the thing that I think has been exciting watching a little bit from last year to this year and just seeing the growth um, and the development. And even when we did drop, you know, two games in a row or three games in a row earlier in the season, we responded with two or three uh, pretty solid wins. So I I think that not too much to complain about for the Flyers definitely so far and um, picking up a game against SLU. Um, which you know, big kind of conference rival there as, as teams go Dayton and St. Louis. Um, I, I think that would be big and, and, uh, definitely boost towards the, the latter half of the season.
0: So, following Friday 10, we've got two huge matchups, uh, for this early slate in the season. So, on Saturday at noon, both these games are at noon, tipping off on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. But on Saturday at noon, we've got three and one Duquesne versus three and one St. Joe's. And then on Sunday at noon, we've got three and one Rhode Island heading down to undefeated four and Richmond. So for everybody here, I mean, I think we're very lucky that that these games are not on the same day. Um how much how how important are these games going to be in terms of you know just Again, setting the tone. This is what this this what January is about, right? For conference play, setting the tone. What? How can these teams find a way to set the tone for themselves and the conference? Uh, in the in these two games this weekend.
1: I honestly, this Rhode Island Richmond game on Sunday is probably the biggest game I've like just this season so far. Not t- trying to discount the VCU Davidson one from this past weekend, or even the Duquesne George Mason one from this past weekend, but this Rhode Island Richmond one could give us a good idea of what we could possibly be seeing for a conference championship. Um, but you ne- again, you never know at this conference, and I mean, even Saturday's noontime game, Duquesne at St. Joe's. Honestly, St. Duquesne's non-conference was kind of all over the place. It didn't feel like they had pieces together and that there's been like not everything in the puzzles fitting and St. Joe's just feels like they're going to be more consistent in this, but this Richmond Rhode Island game is probably the most important game out of all of these games this weekend, just based off of this is probably going to be two of the top teams in the conference competing for the title as well as just seeing Richmond possibly like, pull off a win against Rhode Island, possibly knocking on wood right behind me. Cause I don't want to jinx Richmond. Um, but honestly title contention for either of these two teams on Sunday, this could be a very good, like mock-up of what we could be seeing for conference tournament championship.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great weekend slate. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up this pod? Any thoughts on you know both the men's and women's side?
3: Keep watching Loyola. That's all I've got to say. Obviously, I'm I am a little biased being uh, uh, a reporter for both of those teams, but I think even that Loyola VCU game. VCU is a pretty good team through uh, these these first couple weeks of conference play. They had a pretty solid non conference. Uh, keep an eye on them and you know the men if if you know they they really want to bounce back too because obviously we all it's no surprise that the the move to the Atlantic 10 was more or less focused around uh, men's basketball also hopefully and uh, I don't I don't think I have any wood to knock on around me like uh, KG does but um hopefully uh, the momentum uh can continue for both of these Rambler teams going forward
1: honestly i'm going to say support women's basketball women's basketball has been on the rise for the past 3 seasons since covid now that like we've this is the best season we've had for like input with our power rankings and now also with us doing this podcast special on the woman's side and just hearing the impact we had with the associate commissioner that focuses in on women's basketball support women's basketball because honestly teams don't get it as much as you think i know baz mentioned in the women's headquarters group chat that attendance for the last Loyola Chicago game was only 300 fans.
3: Disgusting. I can't do it. The difference between marketing on the men's and the women's side is just abhorrence. And as KG said, women's basketball, it's an exciting thing to watch. its I, I think I honestly prefer watching women's basketball more because it's very much fundamental basketball they're not doing anything cute or fancy or anything they're just playing straight up basketball and to some people they might be like oh well that's boring it's like no it's not it's like if you want to watch basketball and it's its purest form that's women's basketball for you and how about the Atlantic ten championship for women's basketball moving to espN too obviously we're not on espn or or national television but like it's it's espn I mean like that's that's big you know and it's, it's exciting to see that the Atlantic 10 is starting to focus more on, on women's basketball, and hopefully we see that changing even more and getting more exposure as um, the Atlantic 10 continues to rise in terms of its scale.
1: And that game actually is at 4 p.m. on that Sunday for Championship Sunday, so ESPN2 will take that over ESPNU, especially whenever you can get it for women's sports. But, Sean, I know you want to say something.
2: No, I mean, I, uh, I agree. And I, I think it's so fun what we've got going on both sides. Um, you know, as a Dayton fan on the men's side, love to stay number one, but I mean, we talked about all podcasts anybody can go and get a, go and get a win. And I'm, I'm honestly excited because I know Dayton's not going to go unbeaten. I I'm excited to see who's going to take us down. You know, what that game is going to be, where we're going to drop one on the women's side. I mean, what we talked about, there's a number of teams that could go out and win it. Um, and the 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 middle pack on, on either side um, is is pretty dense. And so I think that's so fun. There's some other leagues and sports where it's just so top heavy um, and you don't have that here in the A-10. You rarely get it. Um, and so I think that this is, is looking to be a really, really fun season headed into conference play. And uh, I'm just really excited to see how everything is going to shake out um totally hear what you're saying on on that marketing we we get it over here at ud as well obviously um but yeah so i mean i i think it's going to be a really exciting race uh towards the end for for both sides both conferences and hopefully the flyers will pull it out of the mid side and it'd be great if we only dropped one
0: all right so i think that'll wrap it up for this latest edition of the a10 talk podcast you know just As KG said, keep watching basketball, keep watching women's basketball, and keep following us, who I really don't think anyone else is covering A10 women's basketball as well as we do. So keep checking out our blog on everything uh, around the Atlantic 10, on the men's and women's side. Uh, Keep following us on Twitter, at A10Talk. Go to A10Talk.com for some great articles. I know everyone's got a lot of good stuff cooking. Um, And until then, we'll see you guys next time.